Hey, hi. Hello, everyone. So, my name is David Lim, and this is a slam poem version of the introduction that I wrote for a book called Overcoming Passion for Race in Malaysian Studies. Enjoy. Across the world, race persists. A popular imagination as a biological fact. In Malaysia, from parliament to coffee shops, race is hardly ever discussed. But it is understood as a mode of identity, identification, and it holds us together, us, the people, who would otherwise have almost nothing to do with each other. Race is grasped by many, synonymous with ethnicity, with culture. It determines one's identity, one's loyalty, one's morality, one's religion. It's a passion, a passion, a passion, an effective intensity. And the problem with that is that race is a fraud, is a fake, is a false index of natural sameness. An invention of European modernity. A tool to catalogue, to hierarchize minuscule human differences. And instead, Malaysians think this passion for your race is a social norm, a social right. You and I know race is not everything in Malaysia. But it is too often a power misused to divide and to conquer. And once we compound it with religion and language, ay ay ay, you have a recipe for disorder. BFM Radio 88.9, the only proper place to talk. Hi everyone, you're listening to Talk Talk Politics and my name is Chelsea Penafort. Today marks the 50th anniversary of the May 13 race riots. And this day was actually described by some as the beginning of the end of Malaysia. It was the first racial meltdown that put Malaysia in a state of emergency hung parliament, and forced our first Prime Minister, Tunku Abdul Rahman, to resign. But what's really interesting is what spawned after May 13. So out of fear for another racial clash, the government decided to implement a lot of quote-unquote Bumiputra or Malay-centric policies. So there was the racial quotas for education and employment. If you owned a company back then, you had to sell about 30% of your shares to some Malay or Bumiputra categories. And there were extra protections put over the controversial Article 153. 
the article that actually outlines the Bumiputra privilege that's promised by the king. And they made it illegal to ever renounce it or even debate about renouncing such article. And actually, we also saw the birth of Barisa National, BN, the biggest coalition party that has ruled nation since independence. Or at least they used to rule. Ever since our 14 GE, Pakatan Harapan have now ruled the country and they are led by Mahathir. It's been about half a century since. Here we are. 2019, so-called New Malaysia. But what do we have to show for it? We are back under the rule of our fourth prime minister, who was actually one of the key founders of Barisan National. And recently, there were over 100,000 people gathered together in our central to, to protest ISID, the UN convention that promises to eradicate racial discrimination. Wait a minute, is Malaysia racist? Protesters had signs saying that ISID is unconstitutional, protect Article 153. And more shockingly, these people won. Mahathir went against his campaign promises and did a U-turn on ratifying the ISID, justifying these racial supremists on grounds of maintaining social unity. Is a nation united if it supports the privilege of one group over the other? So on Talk Talk Politics today, we have a panel that will be discussing May 13. How significant is it to our Malaysian history? And have we moved on? Or have we just doomed ourselves to repeat history? Stay tuned after the break. There are so many different sides of the story, but nobody knows what really happened. They're coming! They're coming! Where are you going? They're killing each other! Hooligans they were. Everyone was fighting each other. Go back in! Lock the door! Shut your windows! It's not safe for you! There was smoke and it, and it filled the sky. I saw bodies floating in the river. Perintah berkurung, a curfew has been imposed. We are invoking Article 150 of the Federal Constitution. Malaysia is officially a state of We were glued to the TV for days. We didn't know what was going on. They barged into the room. I thought I was going to die, but then one man holding the knife said, he said I wasn't the bad race, so I could leave. But I know many people were killed after I left. Oi! Go in before I shoot you! I heard the police and army had come, but they were shooting at our people. So many people were missing. We didn't know who were our friends and who were our enemies. Dr. Kwa and Dr. Shamsul calling in today to discuss the bloody riots of May 13. Welcome to the show, guys. My name is Shamsul Amri Ebin Baharudin. I'm a professor of anthropology at the National University of Malaysia and the director of the Institute of Ethnic Studies at the same university since 10 years ago. 
Yeah, my name is Kwa Kia Sung, director of SWARAM, which is the human rights organization, Voice of the Malaysian People. I've been a member of parliament, political detainee under Operation Lalang, lecturer at National University of Singapore, research director of the Malaysian Chinese uh, Research Centre, so on and so forth. <laughs> so just to get a clearer picture, could you walk us through the consequences of May 13? What transcended the event that brought us to where we are today? The consequences, there was a state of emergency that was the most important thing. Many of the things that were implemented the Ruku Nagara, for anyone who doesn't know, is our national philosophy. Many people look at the Ruku Nagara as a kind of God-given, justified as a constitution. The Ruku Nagara is very different from the constitution because the Ruku Nagara was implemented during a state of emergency, never went through parliament. The most serious consequences of policies from May 13 was, of course, the new economic policy. Because the new economic policy was the, uh, the means by which the new ruling class, the state capitalist class of Avno, took over the, the economy of, of the country. By the 70s and 80s and the 90s, they, they already uh, controlled the, the commanding heights of Malaysian economy. And then when Mahathir came in and privatized many of our national assets, energy, telecom, to his, his cronies, these were consequences that brought about mainly because of May 13. It enabled this uh, new ruling class to take over. Otherwise, it would have taken a much longer time to come to power. And we would not have the kind of post-discrimination that we have done. That the result of May 13 was that the, the constitution was amended. People today talk about Article 153 as if it was a fact of life. But the fact is that Article 153 was amended in 1971. Before that, we did not have the quota system. The quota system that didn't exist before May 13, apart from the new economic policy, what was this new education policy and the new cultural policy. And for example, in the 80s, there was a huge controversy because there's this so-called national cultural policy. And among them was the, the banning of, of lion dances, banning of cultural performances by the Chinese and the Indians, and the banning of signboards in Chinese and Tamil as well. Malay-centric policies that were brought in after May 13 changed Malaysian polity and Malaysian economy and Malaysian culture. So May 13 effectively had a full-scale economical, philosophical, political, educational and cultural shift, is what you're saying. So do you think we're in a better place now? Like the Far Eastern Economic Review stated that the policies actually reduce a substantial amount of poverty by giving more opportunities to the lower economic classes in terms of education, jobs, and it did push us to be more civil and avoid political violence as a whole. So could we not say that May 13 did some good? May 13 did some good. I don't think anybody in Malaysian society or even historians would say that it did any good. <laughs> you cannot justify it. You cannot justify a program, you know. Can you say the Holocaust did any good because it taught us about Nazism? You can't say that. Hundreds were killed in May 13. Mm -hmm. And uh, up to now, we still don't know who died, what ethnicity they were. The Chinese community in this country are still uh, grieving for these people. The quota mm -hmm. system that you talk about is racial discrimination. You think racism is a good thing in this country? There is no good that can be said about racism or, or racial discrimination. Okay, I understand where you're coming from. Could you give a comment on how May 13 affects us today? Uh, the Prime Minister at the time, Tun Raza, a bit of uh, compulsion, brought in all these opposition parties into the ruling coalition. So from MCA, MIC and AMNO, they expanded alliance coalition to the Barisa National, which is at the point of disintegrating at the moment. They are still playing this uh, Malay card, you know. 
repeating this Bumiputra agenda, we're still in the ambit of Malay-centric politics and economy. Okay, that's really great stuff. But unfortunately, I have to stop you guys here for now. We'll catch you listeners right after the break. It started out as a calm day, but by noon, it had descended into chaos. It is May 12, two days after the GE, and the opposition has scheduled a victory rally all over the city to celebrate its newfound power in Parliament. Roads are congested with hundreds, maybe thousands of people showing support for the opposition. Wow, there were party flags everywhere. What got into them? But some Chinese people started shouting hateful slurs at the Malays, as if they owned the country. Did they even win the election? Care belongs to the Chinese. Go back to the forest! Death to the Malays. Buang semua police. Tarada. Food, culture, politics. We're back to the finale of this segment on Talk Talk Politics about May 13. So moving forward, Dr. Kwa and Dr. Shamsul, what can we learn from May 13 on issues like race, violence, and politics? Well, race, of course, is, is, is a word that is used in biological sense. There's no such thing as, as the race. It's been a category that has been used by people who have got an agenda for proving racial superiority and otherwise. But it's not used, it is not accepted as a credible category to describe people the more uh, correct way to, to describe people with the ethnicity, which is ultimately based on their language, their culture, etc. How important is ethnicity to a Malaysian in this country? I can't see it as not being important, because what, what is race? It's not important anymore. If race isn't so important anymore, should we adopt the latest trend of race blindness to distance ourselves from race politics? Because Malaysian politics always... Uh, revolves around four or five different things. Number one is on personality. Number two, on inter-ethnic relation. Number three, on intra-ethnic relation. Number four, federal-state relations. And number five, on contemporary important issues like uh, GST or cost of living. Perhaps uh, a lot of people uh, have this idealism. They don't see color, they don't see race, but when you read the advertisement, uh, I want uh, Mandarin-speaking engineers. What, do you, what, what does it mean? Not just simply ethnic, there's an economic logic to that, which we don't see. And we sometimes forget to see that there is ethnicity and economy related, very closely related in the country. I think there is uh, an idealism which cannot be fulfilled. Many English educated people say that ethnicity is not important because they speak English, the language of the, the colonial power, the language of the, the dominant culture in the world. And so to them, it's not important. They don't know what the fuss about the mother tongue education in this country is all about. The mother tongue is the most effective way in which a child learns his language. The vast majority of Malay- Malaysians in this country come from a background in which the mother tongue is, is most important to them. During the colonial rule in 1949, there is a committee called Communities Liaison Committee. 
which consists of, of three or four different ethnic groups, major ethnic groups in Malaysia, organized by the British, uh, has institutionalized ethnic politics in the country. We are here. Ethnic politics is here. And I don't know who is going to dismantle this. You can dismantle constitution, but you cannot dismantle ethnic politics. Even how much you want to undo the ethnicity or the racial stuff, the Communities Committee. So, Dr. Shamsul, what you're saying is that the cause of May 13 could date back all the way to our colonial history, pre-1957, about 70 years ago. Remember, we inherited a colonial state and then become independent post-colonial state. And therefore, the national state in Malaysia is separated from nation. We don't have that nation in the sense that the British will never, ever encourage nationalist movement because it's meant to overthrow them. So it's interesting how when we have independence, we live in the same country, what do we want? Nation Malaysia, Islamic Malaysia, plural society Malaysia, or what? I think we are still struggling. And the politics in Malaysia is about that. The state operates without any government because it has all been laid out. But the nation is the one that the source of argument about race, ethnicity, about uh, meritocracy and so on and so forth. When you talk about Malay, there's Malay reservation land, the new colonial policy. So, Chinese are a business, Indian, Tony Shaw, every ethnic category has got an important value add to it. And nobody wants to take away this value because to their great advantage. The more I think about it, the more I explain to you, the more it's impossible to undo this ethnic categories and rule. So, what are your suggestions on moving past May 13 to achieving this new Malaysia? For May 13, we need to have some kind of truth and reconciliation before we can move on. May 13 has woken us up everywhere in Malaysia. It has made Malaysians think. Is it means resolving the violent way? No. So, it's not by Prime Minister asking, can you please do this? No. Bottom up platform integration. Alright, thank you for joining us today, Dr. Samsung. Dr. Kwa, it's been a really enlightening segment on how one moment in history, albeit the most violent moment in our Malaysian history, has shaped our country for half a century, economically, philosophically, politically, and culturally. So, despite its name, the race riots of May 13 were about anything but race. It was really a fight revolving around identity and control, an outward explosion of pressure, rooting back all the way to the divisions erected from our colonial ancestors. And though the responses to May 13 might have just intensified some of these pressures, it seems that in all the tenacity we've gained a sort of awareness to avoid violence and ethnicity clashes, and we've actually managed to channel that energy into a life-changing election as we've seen last year. So whether the election actually changes anything or not, I mean, who can say? But I think it does speak volumes of how far Malaysia has come as a civilised nation. So that brings us to the end of the segment on Talk Talk Politics. I'm Chelsea Penafort and you're listening to BFM Radio 88.9. May 10th, 1969. Malaysia's first national election as fully formed May 13, 1969, a day of racial rioting, a day that continues to haunt Malaysia's political scene even more than 40 years later. Oh, very significant. In America, people die every day. Don't ask me this funny question about violence in Malaysia. 
Because when he says the only country which has no political balance in this election except United States. And so since then, present day, May 30 been used as like a kind of threat to anybody that was threatened the hegemony of Obama. It's a date that was frequently mentioned in the lead up to GE13 as a warning of election results going wrong. The ruling Alliance wrong. Party remains in power but have lost two-thirds of its own majority to the opposition, who now have the power to fulfil their campaign promises and remove Bumiputra privileges as outlined by Article 153 of the Constitution. You know, there was this pogrom against the Chinese after the election of 1969. It was a coup d'etat against the Dunku and the French in Malay-centric policy as opposed to a national one. And there's the beginning of the, the Panama Malayu, you know, which, which is the dominance of the Malays in this country. And so the program of May 13 was really to teach the people a lesson never challenged the ruling party, Chinese Malaysians to be prepared for a backlash from the Malay community for their betrayal in the recent elections. Prime Minister Najib Razak, who blamed Barisan National's poor performance on a Chinese tsunami of support for the opposition. As the beginning of a two-race system where the government is made up of Malays and the opposition as only Chinese. But is the fanning of racial tensions and the references to May 13th something Malaysians really need worry about? The political landscape has changed tremendously in the last five years. Since the union with other states, we've seen more parties emerging, gunning for non-Malay support. And this election just makes clear that ethnic pressures are real. And if it continues, Malaysian politics will be a two-race system. We're walking a fine line between social cohesion and social chaos. Whatever it is, this election will certainly be remembered. It's 9th May 2018, 14th general election. In an unprecedented victory, the opposition have won a simple majority in parliament, constituting the first ever regime change in the last 61 years. The decision is in. The federal government will not be ratifying the United Nations International Convention, better known as ICERD. The decision was announced in a short statement from the Prime Minister that are committed to defending the federal constitution with regard to the social contract agreed to by all races. The coalition of Malay NGOs threatening a mass rally in Kuala Lumpur on the 8th of December to protest it.